these down here. Good morning, church. I was thinking on the way in how the government's telling a lot of churches that they're not very essential, and but they're keeping their bars open and other activities that they pursue. And I thought, I wonder how many of our people will come to church with the roads as slick as they were, and look how full our church is. It just tells you how much you guys love the Lord and you love each other. And it warmed my heart to see everybody show up. And I know, like Andy and his family, they drive from, what, an hour away? Um, but just praise God for that. I, I've been seeking the Lord for several months. I've been asking him a question, kind of like you did, brother. And then the neat thing is how the Holy Spirit put this all together because you guys preached a lot of my sermon already. So anyways, I've been asking him, Lord, I really want to know. I want you to show me the state of my heart. I want you to show me who I really am. Show me your heart and then show me where I am in, in and show me what I really live for. And out of that has come what I'm going to share with you tonight. I've done a lot of street ministry. I've preached in the jails. I have preached in a lot of churches. Um, my wife and I traveled with Gospel for Asia for years, and we, we taught in universities and colleges. And one thing I've seen through the years is so much deception in the Christian realm. There's so many people who call themselves believers, and they're not. They're under a great deception, and they don't know it, and you can't talk to them about it. They, they, they love their deception. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm going this way. I know I love Jesus, and I'm okay. But how many of them, would, if they would just take a few moments and say, Lord, please show me the real state of my heart. Where am I before you? I don't care what men say. What do you say? And, you know, if you could have that test now. Before the judgment day, before you die and you stand before God and, and your life flashes before you and God shows you who you really were and then your eternal destiny is determined, would you rather have that test now or do you want to have it then? So I know this is strong, it's, it's, but I, it's not going to bring you under con, uh, condemnation, not in any way. I'm not here to destroy anybody's hopes. Unless your hopes are based on the fall of a wrong foundation. And in that case, I hope to lead you off that foundation and onto a good foundation. So I want to share something that I've shared on the streets. You can share this with sinners. You can sell, uh, share this with nominal believers. And it gets to the crux of the situation and where they're really living. Now, the brother already shared some of this today when he was sharing some of his scriptures and he even uh, showed this. But this is the life of a sinner. We would all say that. So what he does with his money, what he does with his time, even his religion, and I'm going to show you how important this is, his talents, his gifts, They're all devoted to self. That's why he lives. He lives to fulfill his desires. This is what we call the flesh. This is living to please yourself. This is living to satisfy yourself. All the, the things that you do in life come out of this one great big thing. We call it the heart. The old Puritans used to call it the ultimate intention of your life. In other words, why do you live? What is the motive of your life? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you do the things you do? It matters. Your eternal destiny is hanging on the line. So to be born again, the Holy Spirit takes you from this. This person dies. Christ becomes the center of your heart. Then what you do with your money, your time, and then your religion or your devotion, I call it, your devotion and relationship to God, your talents, your gifts, Everything is then focused on how can I glorify God? How can I do good to my fellow man? How can I get the gospel to those who don't have it? How can I reach my neighborhood? How can I reach my churches? How can I reach the schools? There's this burning heart desire in you. You've died to self. And here's the thing that we have to understand. Faith says this, okay? I don't have to live for self anymore. 
Jesus died on the cross for me. My God is benevolent. He's loving. He's kind. He's gentle. He promises to take care of all my needs. I can come right to his throne. I can lay on my face and say, Lord, I give you my all. And I can trust him with it for time and eternity. God, I'm yours. Everything I do, everything I have, everything I want to be, I, I lay it all down. You are my Lord. You're my king. And I only want to serve you from this time on and forever. And that's what it means to be a believer. But there are millions of Christians right here. They come to church. They pay their tithe. They sing songs. They read their Bibles. They consider themselves moral people. They work hard. They love their families. But you know what? Selfishness is really at the center of it all. And they're distinguished by this. They always want to be saved. They all want, they always, they're always if you listen to them pray, it's always about them being saved. If they would stop and think about their own state of mind, they would see, hey, you still have self as the center of your life. You're still seeking God to do something for you. Instead of coming to the throne of God and say, okay, Jesus died on the cross for me. That's all taken care of. I throw myself at your feet in your mercy, and I'm yours now. And then you get up to live for him. And that's where the joy comes from. Hey, I don't have to pursue my own interests my interest now is whatever God's interested in. And I'm going to show you this. Now, I, I printed off uh, two visions that um, William Booth had, and they are powerful. I'm going to go through a couple of them with you. But after the service, if you guys want, I've got 20 of them here, each family and some of the young people. If you want to take one of these, take it home, pray over it. I beg of you, just take some time and pray over it. Listen to what is, is spoken in these visions. But I will share some of that with you today. Now, here's the thing. When you get in this false hope, I call it a false hope. And, you know, I'm a realtor, so, and I've had this happen to me, what I'm about to share with you. But how would you feel if you worked hard, you built up a home, um, and all of a sudden some criminal comes and somehow, and I, I read a month ago, that this is one of the uh, fastest growing crimes, one of them in America, is they go down to the courthouse and they put your house in their name. It's, they all do it legally, and somehow they end up taking your home. This kind of fraud is going on all over the country. How would you like somebody to steal your home? You find out you've been paying for it, you've worked on it for years and years, and you come home someday and the sheriff's there and he says, you're being evicted. Your house belongs to somebody else, and nothing you can do about it legally. Um, that's bad enough. I, my wife and I had that happen. We actually had a pastor steal our home. <laughs> so think of that. It, it was our pastor who we loved. Um, and we ended up on the street. We ended up with nowhere to go. We ended up having to go stay with my unsaved brother for a, a short while. But... And, you know, we've, we've forgiven them, and we, uh, that's, that's not the point. I, I forgive him, forgot it. God used it in my life for good. But what do you think is worse than that? I would think if someone shares a gospel with me that makes me feel like I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, when in reality I'm, I'm not. And I stand before Jesus, and he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And that's how serious this part of the gospel is. Are you living to glorify God and do good to your fellow man? And can you say every day, that's the motive of my heart? If not, you need to reevaluate your walk with Jesus Christ. See, we're not to seek our own good. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures. And you, you, brother, you already shared that very well about not living for your own. Um, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Are you doing everything you do to glorify God? Can you say the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time, the way I, I devote my life is because I love God with all my heart and I want to bring glory to him and I want to do good to my fellow man? Look not out for another's interest. This is Philippians 2.4 not just for your own. Luke 17, 33, whoever shall seek to save his life will lose it. Whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And this is an eternal principle of God. If you seek to save your life, to live for yourself, 
you lose it. If you die to yourself, Jesus said, die to self, take up a cross daily. And this is what this is talking about. I'm dying to my will so that I can live to the will of God. If you do that, you shall live. The Bible says those who live after the flesh, they will die. If you through the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh or you stop living for self and you live to glorify God and the, and the, well-being, of you will, and the well-being of others, you will live. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. So you live to please God, you live to do good to your fellow man and God says, I'll take care of everything else. You don't have to worry about that. Just throw your cares upon me. I care about you. Stop living for those things. You know, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you know, okay, what I want you to do is sell everything you have and come and follow me. He was trying to show him that he was living for self still. I tell you, many have never come into that death to self. um, And and they're going to end up at the judgment seat lost. So we forsake self for the sake of Christ and for the gospel. He that, listen to Matthew 10, 23. He that loves your mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves your son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that doesn't take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Think about what makes up heaven. Heaven is a place for benevolent people. In other words, they, they died to living for self, and now they live for the glory of God and the good of others. That's what salvation is. That's what God came to do, to come into this race of selfish beings and create a race of benevolent, loving beings. That's, that's the whole purpose of God in the gospel. Okay. I'm going to read... Um, well, let me, let me explain something to you. Let's say there's a ruler, okay? He sets up laws. He's, he sets up his whole kingdom and laws for the benefit of everybody, for the good of everybody, for all moral beings. He sets up his laws. He sets up his interests, his purpose, his government, his ways. And you come along and you set up your own purpose and ways and contrary to the purpose and government of the, of the king who has set up his laws. And your ways clash with what he wants to do. And this is how this works. If you live for self and I live for self, what if what myself wants clashes with what yourself wants? Now we've got, we're fighting against each other. And that's how it works. When, when you live for self, you're willing to use others for your own satisfaction, for your own um, desires. And that's what sin is. Every act of sin you can do is some act of selfishness. So a rebel sets up his own interests in opposition to the general interests. In chapter 13, you know, of uh, Corinthians, we know the love chapter. It says that love, when it's going through it, it says it doesn't seek her own. It doesn't have a selfish end, but it seeks the happiness of others as it's in. That's why it lives. It's the motive of its heart. I, I want to please God, God's happiness, God's will, God's desires are the, are the principal thing of my life and the good of the, uh, my fellow man around me. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit of, I want to go through this and then we're, I'm going to share a few more scriptures. But there is a vision that uh, I, I have down here for you that William Booth had. And it's called In Heaven But Not of Heaven. And I want to set this up for you. This man, he, well, William Booth had this dream. And he said, in the dream, he, he thought he was a nominal, what you, we would call a nominal Christian. Um, he, he said, I know I was a, a persistent seeker of souls and a resolute opponent of Satan. But in the dream, he was somebody else. So, but he was, he was a follower of Jesus he thought in himself, I've got the favor of God. He said, I'm looking someday when I die to have the blessing of heaven. All his temporal needs were supplied. You know, he had all he needed, food, clothing, money, a job, a nice family. He had good friends. He thought all things were going well. 
Uh, he said, our friend, my friends and I, we would visit each other's houses. We had the same interests. We, uh, we liked each other's amusements. Our political opinions were the same. We bought and sold, married, and acted as though the world would go on forever. I took part in the church, he said, in the dream. I, I, I always attended. I held a position. I taught truths to the kids. Now and then I would visit the sick. I gave money to missions. I was quite sincere, he said, the guy that he'd seen in his dream. And I didn't have any notion in my heart that I was uh, a hypocrite. But I never really stopped to seriously consider the claims of Jesus Christ or the poor, sinning, suffering world about me. Now I want to give you a picture of the world. Because, well, first of all, he says that he got sick in his dream. And all his friends were called, his family were called. The doctor said, this is pretty serious. We don't think he's going to make it. He said he was on the bed. He didn't feel like he had a lot of fear. Um, but he could see in the faces of his loved ones that it was very dire and serious. He said, uh, I, he, he said I, I, I didn't have a lot of joy. I'm going on an attorney. I didn't feel a lot of fear, but I didn't have a lot of joy. He said, this questions began to plague me. What did I do? What was my duty to a perishing world? What did I do with my time and influence, my money and my family? But now it's too sick for me to do it. I'm too sick. I can't do anything about it. So I just contented myself while he's laying on his deathbed. I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. Jesus died for me. I'm okay. He said, I didn't have the energy to begin a serious business over again of the salvation of my soul. You know, you, this, this takes... This takes your whole being. What does the Bible say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You don't just live for self and sin your whole life, and then you hope on your deathbed you're going to say, oh, Jesus, forgive me. That's not salvation. That's a false salvation. There has to be a, a regeneration, a change of your whole character. You have to die to self and allow Jesus to come in and be Lord and King of your life. But anyways, he said he died in that. Um, and then his whole life was like a roll, and it passed before his eyes. And it began to show in great detail the objects which influenced him during his earthly career. It set forth the purpose for which my thoughts and feelings and money and influence and all other talents and gifts which God entrusted to me to use for his glory and to the salvation of men. But here's what he said. God showed him. He, he died, and he's, he's like in heaven, he thought, but he, he's at the gates of heaven. He said it was beautiful beyond description. There was beautiful beings all over. There's angelic beings. He said, I just I felt unworthy there, and I don't know why I should have felt that way, but I did. I felt unworthy. And he said, uh, God showed him the world and how graphically evil. It was a million times worse than he had imagined when he was on the earth. He said, I've seen its hatred of God. I've seen its rejection of Christ. I've seen its, its uh, blasphemy and its cursing. It's broken families and marriages. It's cursing and blasphemy. I've seen the cries and anguish of, and woe, the drinking, the drugs, the murders, the wars, the famines, the plagues, the death, a million times more blacker and violent and more wretched than had seen when on the earth. And I, you know, the Lord showed me this years ago, and this, when, I, when I was first born again, I, I came out of a very immoral life. I wasn't like a lot of you. I, I didn't know anything about God. I hadn't heard the Bible. I hadn't heard about Jesus Christ, except there's a curse word in my family. I mean, our life was all about living for self, partying, drugs, whatever you could get from the world. That's, that was my whole life. I got to a point where I couldn't even think a clean thought. Every thought of the heart of my imagination was evil continually. And that's when Jesus, that's how Jesus found me in that condition. But the Lord showed me, if you could roll back the veil, let's say all of us today, the Holy Spirit would just roll back the veil right now. And you could see the souls, you know, 200,000 people die every day and they go to hell. Think of that. And you could hear their cries. You could hear their anguish. You could see evil spirits dragging their souls down into hell. They have no more chance. There's no more uh, opportunity to be saved, no more opportunity to live for Christ, no more opportunity to do good to their neighbors, no more opportunity to do good to their family. It's over. And you see them being dragged down into hell. What, what would that do to you inside? 
I tell you, God has kind of did that to me in my spirit. And I used to go on the streets and um, knew nothing about God, just that he had saved me and the Holy, filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I had a hunger and thirst to please him and, and to see others get saved. And we'd go out on the streets. We'd go to Hannah Buchanan. And we'd stand on a street corner from 10 o'clock in, until 2 in the morning. And we would share the gospel. And we would just say, hey, brother, I just want to tell you Jesus died for your sins. And this is an area where they would shoot each other. We'd watch them uh, bring out machetes. Um, there was drug houses. I had a drug, uh, drug dealer once came out. He said, are you a narc? I said, no, I represent Jesus Christ. And he's like, okay. And he went back in. I thought, if he knew how much more dangerous I was to his business, he probably wouldn't want me out there. Because if, if the people come get saved, they're not going to want his drugs anymore. But, you know, when you give your life and you make yourself available to God, I'll tell you something I learned in that first year I was there. And this is a guy that knew nothing about Christianity, nothing about the things of God. I seen God do miracles on those street corners. I seen God supernaturally move in the lives of these people. We're talking about alcoholic, drug, prostitutes, the worst of humanity coming to Jesus Christ down there on those streets. We even went as a group, and we would pray over the, uh, a bar. It was a horrible bar. Out of that bar went drugs and alcohol and every wicked thing you could imagine. And we'd go down there, and we'd lay our hands on it. We'd say, Lord Jesus, shut this place down. Thank you, brother. We'd say, Lord, do something. You've got to do something. This place is a corrupting influence to this whole area. Thousands of souls are being led down the path of darkness. You know what God did? He saved the man that owned that building and shut the whole thing down. And I'll tell you another time God did that for me. I was a maintenance man working at a hotel. And the guy that was running it knew my heart that I love Jesus and souls. And he was a rich man. And he actually let me come in someday, one day and sit in his office and tell him about Jesus Christ. And you should have seen him. He just trembled. And he was kind of like Felix. Okay, I'll, I'll hear you again about this matter some other time. But... He made me go over. He built this uh, bar right next to his hotel, and it was going to be a strip bar. And he made me go over and paint the outside of it. And I'm over there painting it. And the whole time I'm over there, I'm praying, oh, God, I know this is a million-dollar building. I know it's brand new, but do something. Tear this place down. You know, within a few months, I'm talking about millions of dollars. He sold the whole thing, the hotel, the bar, everything was tore down, and they put a um, shopping center in there instead. God will move for us if we'll make ourselves available, if we'll stop living for self, if we'll stop being religious, if we'll say, God, I, I love you and I love my fellow man. All right, let's get back into our story. And anyways, this role was before him. And he said, I, I, I had occupied myself during the few years I had allowed to live in the midst of all those miseries. So he was showed his, his true motive, what he was really living for. Jesus Christ had called me to be the soldier and to fight for him. Instead of fighting for him, bringing souls to his feet and to be saved and preparing them for heaven, I had been intent on living for earthly things, selfishly seeking my own carnal interests. I was worried about my own personal cares and anxieties, spending my life in practical unbelief, disloyalty, and disobedience to all my most sacred obligations and vows. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you were baptized, that was like you were being married. You said to Jesus Christ, I give you my all. From this point forward and forever, I will live to glorify you and do good to my fellow man, no matter the cost. If they come to kill me, Lord, I'm yours. If they come to take my, everything I own, I'm yours, Lord. I give it all to you. And that's your sacred vows before the, for the Lord. He's seen your heart. This is what you said. Jesus, I give it all to you. We sang that today. All to Jesus, I surrender. We sing it all the time. You know what? I, I heard Tozer once said, he said, you know what, Christians, they lie, when they lie the most is when they're singing. They sing something that really isn't true of their character. So listen, this came out of my heart. Lord, show me where, what I'm really living for. And I'm, I'm trying to, I want to share that with you. What are you living for, brother and sister? How's it going to be for you when you get to, to, that, to that time? So I had a terrible sense that I didn't belong here. I had a great desire to leave that land of pure delight and go back to the world of darkness, sin, and misery. 
So he gets there and he realizes, my spirit is not one with this place. I wish I could leave. And he's in heaven at the gates of heaven. He's like, I'm a believer, but I don't want to be here. And he said, if I could only spend another lifetime fighting for my Lord, combating these evils and striving to save the sufferers by poverty and cross-bearing, how gladly I would do so. In another vision that uh, he had, uh, Jesus asked all the saints of heaven. He pulls them all in, and there's like millions of them or whatever. And he says, all right, things are going bad on the earth. The evil is getting darker and darker, and I need soldiers. I need people that will go out there and lay their lives down to share the gospel, to help others come out of the darkness into the kingdom of light. Who will go for me? And every person in heaven raised their hand. Lord, I'll go. I don't care what the suffering is. I don't care what I have to give. I'll, I'll go. And that's what Jesus is looking for in you and me. He's asking you and me the same questions. Why do you live? What are you living for? Really weigh this. This is the test before the test. He said, I remembered my life of ease and comfort, long-drawn story of self-gratification. I didn't have any martyr expenses to recount. I didn't sacrifice anything for his dear sake worth naming on earth. And then all of a sudden, he got interviewed by people. So in heaven, in his dream, it went out throughout uh, parts of heaven that knew this man and had lived in the area that he lived. Hey, he's here. And so many of them came. And, and it, they came one at a time, and they began to ask him. He said, the most beautiful creatures you ever saw was a redeemed man who had given his life to Christ and had lived for Jesus Christ, had died. And he's standing there, and he said, I could barely look at him. The glory of him was so great. And he said, I'm, I'm looking at him, and, I, and, and, and I, I was almost afraid to lift up my eyes. But he began to speak to me, and he said, hey, brother, we heard that you're here. And, I have, and I've been given permission by the Lord to come and ask you. He said, I, I gave my life for Jesus Christ, and I, and I was out on the streets winning souls. I was out doing it, and I got killed when I went to work. I died, and I've got a son. And my son is a prodigal. He's away from the Lord, and I know you had a lot of dealings with him. And I just had to ask you, brother, did you do anything for the salvation of my son's soul? And the man said he, had to, he, he, he just had to put his head down and said, no, I, I never spoke to him. And he had another lady come, and she said, he just, they just kept interviewing him, and they're, they're like, what did you do? You know, my daughter, she's, she was, I, 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 I just didn't, I didn't, uh, I, I spoiled her. I didn't train her up in the things of God, and I, 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 I got saved, and I started to live with the Lord, but I died before I had time to bring her to the Lord, and I know that you had access to her life, and I just, and he said, I knew about her. I knew her, the mom had died. I knew that she was alone. I knew that she was living immorally, but I never spoke to her about it. And he said, I had to hang my head in shame. He said, all who knew me wanted to see me, to hear of the victories I had won, souls I had blessed on earth, and did I do anything for their lost loved ones they had left behind? He said, I remembered my life of ease and comfort, a long, drawn story of self-gratification. Okay. And then another guy come and he said, hey, brother, I had gotten saved. Uh, I joined the Salvation Army and I was part of a troop and we would go out on the streets. And he said um, that he had died. And he said, but my old mates I used to drink with and, cur- and go to the bars with and I know they're in cursing and then they're on the, the dark path to hell. Have you done anything for their salvation? And he had to say no. And then... In the story, and I'm, I'm going to go on to the next one in a minute, but he said there was this train, and there was millions of people, and in the middle of it was a light that, you, that was brighter than ten suns, and he said it was Jesus Christ, and Jesus was coming, and myriads and myriads of people were forming around him, and all of a sudden, before he knew it, Jesus was standing in front of him. And Jesus is there in all his glory, and, he, and man, when he said this, this really coursed through me. But he said, I looked up into his eyes. Something compelled me. I had to look up. I was on my face, but I, I looked up. And he said, he looked at me. And he said, I didn't see any pain in his eye, but I didn't see any pleasure either. He said, I didn't see anger, but there wasn't no approval. There was no welcome for me from him. He said, he didn't say nothing, 
but the Holy Spirit spoken in his heart. You will find yourself with little in harmony with those who were the companions of my tribulations, who counted not their lives dear unto them in order that they might bring honor to me and the salvation of men. So what Jesus said to them was, you don't belong here. You did not live for me. And then Jesus says to him, after a long drawn out, you, you read it, it, there's a whole bunch more to this story, and I'm paraphrasing a lot of it, but he says to him, I'm going to give you another chance. And he said, he's going to go back, another opportunity to prove yourself worthy of my name, to show the world you possess my spirit, do my work, and make yourself a savior of men. He said he gave himself over, body, soul, spirit, to live and fight and die, not for my own salvation, but for the glory of Christ and the salvation of men. Are we taught to fight for souls? You know, brothers and sisters, I don't know if any of you have a hunger for revival. I, I, I read a lot of the old-time revivals like Finney. But you know what they would do? They would come into a city where there was apathy and there were some cities so wicked they called them Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's the time we live in. So Finney and his crew, he had a, he had a brother named Father Nash. Father Nash would come into a city where they were going to be preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel and holding revival services. And he would get a room at his own expense. And he would get in that room, and he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't drink. He would just lay on his face for days and cry out to God. He had a spirit of intercession. He would pray and cry, oh, God, do something in this city. And you know what would happen? People would be out in the middle of the field, and the Holy Spirit would fall on them, and they'd get saved in the field before anybody even spoke to them. Many times they'd be at the church and the saints would be praying for some drunk in, in, the, uh, in the city. And while they're sitting there praying, that drunk comes pulling up. He runs down the aisle. He would come up to the altar, fall down, and give his life to the Lord. See, God has put within our grasp everything we need for life and godliness and to reach a lost generation. It's at our grasp. Don't be afraid right now. I know this is the most wicked time this world has ever seen. It's not a time to be afraid. This is a time to fight our battles for the Lord. Those who know the Lord will, will do exploits, it says. God says, I'm, uh, I'm looking the whole earth. I want to show myself powerful on behalf of those who will trust me. So we can trust him for great things. You can believe for your neighbors. You can believe for your family. You know, in this other story I'm going to share with you really quickly, what really struck me in this other story is there's Christians that are saved on the platform of this place. Well, let me finish this. He said, it wrung my soul with sorrow and self-reproach that I had occupied myself with useless things the time I had on earth. How many of us live for entertainment? How many of us live to accumulate more money, more things, more things for self? We never have enough. And we give very little time. Listen, brothers and sisters, I wish I could sit down with everybody here and I wish we could talk this out one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, brother, do you realize that our schools are Sodom and Gomorrah? And I cried a river of tears about that. I, it breaks my heart that our schools have become so evil as they are. I hear the little kids on the playgrounds next to my sister's house and every other word out of their mouth is filth. I see them in the stores. I, you see them too. Our society is getting darker by the day. It's wicked. It's evil. This is a time if ever we rose up in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me pour out my life for these lost souls. He said, I was, he said it was meanness, selfishness of my past life plagued me. I was too busy, too proud, too shamefaced to seek out sinners with the tidings of a Savior's love. And this other one's really small, and then I've got a couple of scriptures to share, but I want to share, you, share this with you also. He had another dream, and in the dream there was a great ocean, and in that ocean was the souls of men. It was a black, choppy ocean. And on the horizon was the worst storm you've ever seen, and it represented the wrath of God. And this is humanity. They're in this massive ocean, and they're bobbing in the water. And some of them are sinking down, never to rise no more. And all of a sudden, out of this ocean comes up this great big rock. And on that rock is a platform. 
And on the platform, a few of the people climb up. They get saved out of the ocean. And he said he looked up there onto that ocean. And, but he, he said those in the ocean, they were shrieking, they were struggling, they were drowning, they were, they were, they were going under. They could see the horrible judgment coming. He said a few of those on the, on the uh, platform, they were trying to help others out of the ocean. They were doing anything in their power to help them. They were using ropes. They were using boats. And you know what? This is something I've always asked. And this is something every true believer asks. And this is where a church can be a hindrance to this. Why don't we as believers get together more often and say, Lord, please help us together to devise different ways that we can help others come to know you. We should be doing that together. I read where um, eight-year-old little girls came to a church in China, and they began to pray together in a corner. And the Holy Spirit put a burden on their heart. There was an alcoholic in their city that they knew about. And they began to pray for that guy. And then they would go out and they would visit him, and they would share Christ with him. They led that man to the Lord. Eight-year-old, had a burden for lost souls. Can't, if, if 12 people can turn the whole world upside down, think what we could do. This many people on fire for Jesus Christ, using our gifts, our talents, our money, our time to spread the gospel. So a few were doing everything they could. But others were up on the platform, and you see this in the church today. They're playing their guitars. They've got their back to the ocean. They're playing their music. And, you know, this is what gets me. When I was first saved, we used to have a lot of prayer meetings. I mean, I remember me and the brothers coming, and we'd lay in the altar all night long praying for souls. We'd pray for an anointing on the pastor for the next day. We'd ask God, Lord, there's unsaved loved ones, and we'd just cry out to God. And God did miracles for us. But you know what we do now? And listen, I... And I'll tell you, Mennonites fall into this a lot of times, too. We have music nights. We have banqueting. That's what we spend all our time doing. And there's nothing wrong with those things. I'm just saying the focus has shifted. It used to not be that way. It used to be God's glory and the well-being of my fellow man. I've only got a short time on probation on this earth to give all I have to help others know Jesus. I'll close this on a good note. Right now, I know this is making us all squirm. It makes me squirm a little because every time I look at this, I say, Lord, what more can I do? What more can I do for the souls of men? I want to know. I really want to know. But listen to this one. This one really struck me when he said it. You know what some of the other ones were doing on that platform? They were over in the corner praying, and they were asking Jesus, who was down in the ocean. He's in the ocean trying to get those people up out of that horrible pit of sin onto the rock and he says he's he's crying up to his people help me help me and you know what they're praying lord come over here and make me feel better about my salvation make me feel like uh uh i mean i i just i just want you to come and comfort me i want you to give me more money i want you they're seeking them for something temporal they're seeking them for something for self they never have died yet they're still living for self they're under a great delusion. And then he said this. Now think of this. Those people on the stage who were supposedly Christian and born again, they had mothers and fathers and relatives and neighbors and, and sons and daughters who didn't know, brothers and sisters who didn't know the Lord. And you know what? There was never any weeping from their heart. They didn't have any care or agony for their souls. They didn't, they didn't by their life say to, to these lost people, hey, you are in a horrible, precarious situation. You know, I want my family to know if you're living in sin, if you're living for self, I want you to know that, that I cannot overexpress the danger you're in. You're in eternal danger. And that's how our, li- our lives should say that to them. We Christians aren't just about always smiling or being well thought of. You know how many times I've been punched? I've been spit on? I've been lied about? I've been slandered because I'm out there sharing the love of Jesus Christ? 
I could tell you stories. Um, and it will happen to you too. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's the promise of God. If you're going to take up your cross and live for Jesus Christ and go out there and, and try to reach the souls of men, you will suffer. I promise you. you I've lost jobs. Like I told you, we had our house stolen. So they spent their time in amusing themselves. And, and there was a whole group uh, growing flowers on the side of the rock, playing music, dressing up in different styles. Some were uh, eating and drinking. And then others were arguing about the poor drowning creatures that had already been rescued. So I'm going to read a few scriptures that you well know. The commission, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Here's our commission. Not only do we go out and we preach the gospel to lost souls and we do everything in our power to try to reach into their lives and pull them out of the darkness. We are also to help train them up. Now, you don't, if your wife was pregnant, about to have a baby, you don't take her to the hospital, give birth to the baby, and then just leave the baby out in the field. And that's how it is in the Christian realm a lot of times. We have people going around, they're leading souls to Christ, leading souls to Christ, but really all they're doing is making them twofold a child of hell because they've never really brought them to this life. This is life in Christ. Will you die to self? Will you take up a cross? Will you come follow God with all your heart? And we don't do that with them. And that was always been the grief of my heart is, okay, I'm part of a group. We're out here. We're winning souls, and we're bringing them to the church. But what is the church doing with them once we bring it to them? Everybody has a part in that. Uh, you want a church to come alive? You bring, you bring new believers in. And everybody starts pouring their lives into them, people, and helping them to grow and helping them overcome and praying with them and and standing with them when their needs. That brings life. And that's your commission. That's my commission from our Lord. We, we call ourselves followers of, of Jesus Christ. And it, what, what was the heart of my king? You shared it well, brother. Jesus said, it says in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And it says of God, He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's God's desire that all men and women be saved. It's his desire that everybody have a chance to hear the gospel. You know what I read when I was studying for this? That the Christians in China, you know what they say when they were asked about, he was like, well, so there's so, the one brother was asking him, so there's this many people in the church. And they said, well, yeah, but we don't, he said, in the persecuted church, we don't really count them as true believers unless they lead others to Christ and help build a new church. Like, wow, what a standard. In other words, if you're not living wholeheartedly for God and you're not out there putting your life on the line to get the gospel to a lost world, they don't believe you're really saved. That's a high standard. Matthew 22, 8, he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, build a church and wait for them to come to you. I've heard that all my life. I, I, you know, I, I've heard, I, I got brothers um, that I talk to a lot that do uh, street ministry, they, and they do uh, ministry in the colleges. They'll go to the college, and they'll have 200 Students come out, and those colleges are evil and wicked. I'll tell you, my wife and I spoke at university and colleges for 10 years. And I'll tell you, even the Christian colleges, they're wicked. They're evil. And I, I could describe scenes I've seen there that would just curl your stomach. You imagine that. You're a mom and dad, and you spend $20,000 a year to send your kid to a Christian college, and they're being completely corrupted there. The corruption in those colleges is unbelievable. But God didn't say, sit in your church, sit in your home, 
cluster up, go hide somewhere while the whole world around you goes to hell. He said, go. Go into the hedges. Go into the highways. This is hard work. Some of you will say, well, I'm not called to that. I'm not gifted to that. Well, I would say that too. My flesh doesn't want to do it. Every time I went on the street, I was scared. Every time I went on the street, my heart trembled. What if I do the wrong thing? What if I don't say it right, Lord? But I obeyed. I trusted. I was like, Lord, but they won't hear the gospel. The devil would like to keep the gospel. This is one of the things I think COVID is about. If the devil can keep the gospel from going out and then we can encourage one another in the church, he can destroy us even quicker. And that's one of the things he's trying to do. There's always been a movement in the world to, to, to stop the, the things of God. Always. Okay, go into the highways, invite them to the wedding. Tell them, hey, Jesus died on the cross. Now, I hope I've made this simple. It's not hard. See how easy this is? You know how many hundreds of times I've shared this with lost people? And they get it immediately. Yes, brother, I know I live for self. I'm going to tell you something. If that's your religion, you're lost. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not being sensuous. I'm telling you. I don't want you to stand there and find out from Jesus Christ that this is where you really are. That those are your motives. I don't want to be there, and I wouldn't want you to be there. I wouldn't want that for my family. And I don't want that for my brothers and sisters. I love, I love you guys with all my heart. I'll tell you, my wife and I have prayed for a long time. Lord, is there a place where people love you and they care about you? And you guys have opened your hearts and your lives and... I've already got to know many of you, and I know you have a hunger for truth and love each other. And we, we've been to a lot of churches, and I, I'll tell you, it's a rare thing. It's a very rare thing to find an on-fire church for Jesus Christ in our day. Well, didn't the Holy Spirit say in the last days there would be perilous time? Because men would be lovers of self. Are we not in a time where men are lovers of self? Is not the church a lover of self? You have a whole gospel now preaching prosperity. They preach, uh, you follow God, he'll make you rich. You follow God, he'll heal you. You follow God, he'll give you. He, he's there for your lust. Live for self. You just go to God and you push the right buttons, you give the right money, and boy, he's just going to bless you. And that's their, that's their gospel of selfishness. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a man-centered gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is Christ-centered. God isn't there to serve me. God isn't there just to meet my wills and purposes and desires. God is there for me to, he's, I'm here to serve him. I'm here to love him. What does the Bible say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to close on, the, on a good point. We're talking about a kingdom of love, right? God calls you and me to love each other and to love him and to love even our enemies and lost humanity. But you can't do that if you're holding on to the self-life. It's impossible. And I've had this thought for years, and it's finally beginning to coalesce in my heart and my mind. And I don't know, maybe I can't even express this properly. But could you imagine living forever as a selfish being? You know, when you pursue selfishness, now I did this. I pursued it with all my heart. Boy, if I'm going to do something, I do it with all my might. And I was pursuing pleasure and whatever I could get for self. And you know what it brings? Emptiness. It brings death. It brings broken relationships. It brings, could you imagine for all eternity what will happen to a selfish soul, what kind of beast you would become? You're capable of anything. But what if God could take those beings and they die to that self and they begin to live to glorify him and live for his glory and his will and his purposes and the well-being of others around them, what would happen? You have a heaven. And that's what heaven is. Every person that makes it to heaven, this is the whole state of their soul. It's the mindset. It, you know, we talk about the mind of Christ. The brother that shared last week, he, he shared, you know, how your stuff comes out. You know what, he, he talked about something down here that came up into action. This is your heart. 
And if you're living for self, what's going to come up out of here? What actions? It's going to be sin. If you're living for God and the good of others, that's your heart. Now, do you think a sinner and a saint are the same people? Oh, I, this is a false humility. I'm really this, we say, but I love Jesus. No. God doesn't accept that. Does that mean that you never do anything selfish? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about what you're living for. When you do do something selfish, the Holy Spirit's faithful to convict you and say, brother and sister, this isn't my... I mean, you feel it immediately, and you repent. Okay, a certain man had a... Wait, did I read that one to you? All right, Luke 14, 16. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. So another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly in the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges. Compel them to come in that my house be full. Now I want to tell you something. We are preoccupied in this country with sports, with TV, with entertainment, with computers, with every other thing other than what God wants us to be occupied with. Think of that. You, fathers and mothers, don't let your kids get caught up in this world. They too only have a short probationary period in this earth. Someday they'll stand before God. Are you teaching them to give their lives away, to live for the good of others and the glory of their king? Or are they living for this world? Do they chase? I see most Christian young people chasing after the world as fast as any other unbeliever. You can't get them to prayer meetings. You can't get them to sit through a whole service. Things like this, their hearts are, they can't wait till it's over. Well, I, I'm hungry. Their minds are on the things of the earth. Their minds aren't set on the things above. And I, it's our responsibility to teach them. I send you forth, and listen to this. Matthew 10, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as servants and harmless as dove. But beware of men. Now here's, here's the promise of, of our Lord. You are a sheep. We're not wolves. We're not out. You know, wolves devour stuff for self. Wolves give, or sheep, we, we give. We give the love of God. We give our time. We give our hearts. We give our lives. We give. That's how God, Jesus was our example, and that's what he's taught us to do. And that's, that's the whole of Christianity. Love is the whole of Christianity, benevolence. But he sends us forth in the midst of wolves, and he says this. They will deliver you up to councils. They will scourge you in the synagogues. They will, you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they do deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you will speak, for it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaks in you. And the brother will deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You know, when I got saved, I lost my whole family. I, I had friends that I had from a, when I was 10 years old. Every one of my friends walked out. They never came back. I told them, hey, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. They all were gone. My family turned their back. They didn't want anything to do with me because they were partiers. And they, I didn't care. I wanted Jesus. I would go to their Christmas, and they would be over there gambling and drinking. And I remember I was only saved like a few months, and I didn't even understand it, but I was on the couch, and I was at the verge of tears. And my mom would come over and say, what's the matter? I said, I don't know, Mom, but I don't belong here. I don't belong here anymore. Um, when they persecute you in the city, flee to another. For I say to you, you have not gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. 
Whoever will confess me before men, him will the Son of Man confess before the angels of God. But he that denies me before men shall he be denied before the angels of God. Now think of that. If you're living for self, you're going to care about what men think of you. You're not going to speak the truth. When the truth needs to be spoken because a soul may be lost, you're not going to speak the truth because you're afraid of man, what they think of you. Well, he might think I'm too hard. He might think that I, I'm proud. He might think I, you know, I'm not being humble enough. You know what, brothers and sisters? I'm tired of that. There's a sea of people about ready to perish. It's time that we grew a backbone, that we became men and women of God, and we stand resolutely and say, Jesus is the way. You either die to self and give up your life of sin, or you will be lost. If we don't do that, their blood will be on our hands, right? Okay, Acts 1 and 8, this is a promise. If you... But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all, in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. My Bible says don't love the world or the things in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of God, the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father. It's of the world and the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Now, I want to close this on a, a positive note. I, I could hear this over and over again because I need it. I could hear what I just shared with you every day. I want this focus in my heart. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to live for the good of others around me. I do not want to live for self. I don't want to go that way ever. Don't let me. Put up roadblocks. Bring a brother in my, my heart or my path and speak to me if I'm off the path. And that's what we should be doing for one another. But here's, here's the thing. When you set your heart, like I've been describing, you're going to have intimacy with God. As soon as God sees your heart set to love him and do his will and to do good to your fellow man, God's going to move in. I know this for a fact. When I say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to go. Yes, Lord, I'm willing to give. Yes, Lord, I'm willing to love. Yes, I'm willing to forgive. Yes, then I feel the Holy Spirit. If someone has to tell you you're a Christian, you're not. You know who should tell you you're a Christian? Not your mother, not your father, not a pastor, not a man of God. The Holy Spirit testifies to my spirit that I'm a son of God. And if you're a son and child of God and you're being led by the Spirit, he will testify to you, you belong to me. It is possible, brothers, to know your own heart. It's possible to know what you live for. Take an inventory. I just gave you the test. It's a hard test. But it's well worth it to take the time. Now, I have these papers. There's two, the two visions uh, if you get... If you, you're free to have them, there's 20 of them. Uh, hopefully each family can. And then maybe even some of the younger people that, you know, live away from the families, they could have one too. Um, but I want to open this up to prayer. I want to ask you, is there anybody here that would say this is my religion? Would you, before God and others, say, Lord, I need to change I'm going to ask us to stand, and I want us to turn around to four or five people, and I want you to pray for each other. Just four or five people right where you are. Just turn around and begin to pray for one another and ask each other this question. Where do I stand before God? And pray for each other about it. If we're willing to make a commitment that says, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to live for your glory and the good of my fellow man. The Holy Spirit will flow through here. We will see our loved ones come to know Jesus Christ. We will see neighbors come to know Jesus Christ. We will see a revolution. Let me tell you one last thing. I was the most wicked, vile person at Magnavox and Garrett. 
I'd come home from the Navy. I was so vile. Every word out of my mouth was filth. And I had been in that factory for five years. And no one ever spoke to me about my soul. No one ever once shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me. And one drunken weekend, I'm at my apartment, and I'm laying there on the couch, and I flip on the TV, and some man of God shared the gospel, and the Holy Spirit swept into that room. I had a basement apartment, and I got under the conviction of the Holy Ghost. I realized I am a lost sinner on my way to hell. God would be just and right to send me there. I deserve to go there. I'd be the first one to raise my hand and say, yes, Lord, I deserve to die. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I went to that job. I was so excited. But my mind was corrupt. It took years of healing. And I had other brothers who had to come and help me to change the patterns and thinking of my life. Well, I put a sign up on the board. I said, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. If anybody in this place wants to know anything more about Jesus or you want to make a testimony for Christ, put your name on here. Well, whole bunch of people signed it. When I went over to talk, oh, yeah, we're Christians, we're Christians. I said, you're a Christian? I've been in agony for five years in this building. I, I, I was close to losing my mind. And you say you knew Christ? And you never once spoke to me about my soul? You never once shared Christ with me? I'm like, don't tell me you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're one in name only. Because you had hundreds and thousands of opportunity of all these five years to share Christ with me. We were around each other talking all day long. And never one of them ever spoke anything about the things of God. And I learned a lesson about that. That's never going to happen. I'm not doing that. If I have an opportunity to share for Jesus Christ, by his grace, through the power of the Spirit, I'm going to do that. So can we stand and we just pray with each other for a few minutes and then... Brother Willis, you want to close us in prayer and yeah, after everybody prays for a few minutes?